with Hashem Salp, we are starting the new Masechta, Masechta Saita. The word Saita means a woman who is under legal suspicion whether she is an adulteress. Sometimes she's also known as a Saita Suffolk because there's only a legal suspicion, but we don't know for sure that she is an adulteress. What would an adulteress mean? A married woman who has a relation with another man outside of her husband, if she did so being forewarned and later, subsequently, there were two witnesses that testified to the fact this woman, if she's married, will be put to death. It's a sin that bears with it capital punishment. The husband, even in the situations where she would not be put to death, the husband is no longer allowed to be intimate with her. The husband, according to the Rambam, will have to divorce her. If she is a daughter of a Yisrael, of a Yisrael she's a Yisraelis, but she married a Kayin, and she's eating truma because she's married to a Kayin, from the moment that she becomes an adulteress, she no longer is allowed to eat truma. Even when there's only a legal suspicion as to whether she committed adultery or not, as we will learn in the case in the Mishnah, from then on also, she's not allowed to be intimate with her husband. If she married a Kayin, she's not allowed to eat truma. And when there's only a suspicion whether she committed adultery or not, there's a certain procedure that the Torah prescribes that she could undergo. If she undergoes it and she turns out to be innocent, then the marriage goes on and there are actually additional blessings that are given to the marriage. And God forbid, if she is guilty of committing adultery, then both her and the man with whom she committed adultery, they die in a very unusual, in a very gruesome death as the Torah describes. How will a woman become a Suffolk Saita? How will a woman become a woman that's legally suspected of committing adultery if her husband gave her a warning known as a Kinui and he told her specifically with whom he doesn't want her to be, to be secluded with? And as we'll see in the Mishnah, the warning, we're going to re- speak out the opinion of the Tana Rabbi Yeshua. The husband warned her in front of two witnesses after that warning in front of two witnesses that she should not be secluded with a certain individual, she was secluded with him. We'll see on Davdalit exactly how long was she secluded with him. Again, the opinion of Rabbi Yeshua will be that there needs to be two witnesses that she was secluded with that man for the legal amount of time. It is from then on that she becomes what we call the Saita or a Saita Suffolk, a woman who's suspected of committing adultery. Now, first, she's going to be taken to the Bezden of her city for them to actually rule that she is a halachic soita. Once the local Bezden made that ruling, she will be taken by her husband to the great Bezden in Yerushalayim, known as the Sanhedrin. And she's going to be first talked to. She's going to be encouraged to, to, not, to, not to undergo the procedure. At any point when the woman is going to say she doesn't want to undergo the procedure, even if she's claiming innocence, the procedure will not happen. However, the husband will not allow to be intimate with her. According to the Rambam and many other Rishonim, the husband will be commanded to divorce her. She will forfeit her ksuba, as we learn together in Masechta's ksubas, that any woman that initiates a divorce, if she is, so to say, the cause for a divorce, when she gets divorced, she does not get the ksuba. But she will not have to undergo the procedure only if she wants to and her husband wants to. Because we'll learn later a scenario where she's claiming innocence. She's going to claim she would like to undergo the procedure of Isaita. The husband is saying, I don't want you to do it. There too, she will not undergo the procedure. The husband will not allow to be intimate with her. According to the Rambam, the husband will be mechoyiv to divorce her. But there she will get her ksuba because she's claiming innocence and she's willing to undergo the procedure. The procedure of a saita will be learned later in the Masechta. But in brief, they're going to take a scroll and they're going to write on it, on that scroll, the parsha of the saita, which is written in parsha Snasi. They're going to take water from the kiyot, from the basin that was in the Beis HaMikdash. They're going to take earth from the floor of the Beis HaMikdash. They're going to take a bitter herb and mix it into that water and dirt. They're going to take the scroll and put it in the water 
and mix it in the water until the letters of the parsha, including Hashem's name, all of that was written is going to be erased in the water. The woman is going to be uh, notified about what will happen to her if she's guilty. So there's a warning and there's a curse. She has to answer Amen. There's going to be a special flower offering that's going to be prepared. She's going to hold it for a while. Then the next part was made through a goidel because no one wanted to volunteer. But a client who won the lottery, so to say, needed to, to a certain degree, rent her garments, dishelve her hair, have her drink the water, offer the mincha, and it is from that moment on that if she committed adultery and other conditions are met, then her stomach would inflate, would start to become very large. They would immediately take her out of the base Hamikdash area because Kahanim, first of all, she dying there has a level of contamination. Tumas Meis cannot be in the Machna Shechina. We don't want for any of the Kahanim to become impurified with Tumas Meis. Ultimately, her, her thighs would, so to say, collapse and she would die. And as we mentioned, whatever happens to her would happen to the man who committed adultery with her. There are other conditions. If there was some sort of sin, according to Rashi, if her husband had one relation with her, one intimate relation with her, after she became a legal saita, then these waters would no longer work. According to the Rambam, if her husband committed any misbehavior, in other words, if he was intimate with any other woman from when he was married, aside of his wife, so he is also sinful, then these waters also will not work. But generally, the waters either killed her or proved her innocence, and not only did she not die, but it actually added brachas into her life, as we learn in Chumash Rashi, that if she didn't have children, she will be blessed to have children. If she was having difficulty having children, then she's blessed to have children with less pain, etc. So let us begin. Mesech Tosaita, Dav Beis. Starts the Mishnah, One who has warned his wife. Normally, in Lashon Kaidish, the word for warning is Hamasra. The Gemara is going to address why the Mishnah uses an unusual word for warning. The Mishnah actually is simply repeating the word that the Torah uses, which is also unusual. And we'll see later why the Torah uses the words Vikine or Hamikana. And we're touching it here. It means if someone warned his wife. Rabbi says that the halacha, the halacha of Kinui. The step of warning needs to happen only if that he warned her in front of two witnesses. It's gishmak to go back to learning Rashi. In Mesechtas Nazir, and beforehand in Mesechtas Nadarim, the commentator that was in the place of Rashi, we know was not Rashi. We called him Mefarish. By Nazir, we know it's Derivan. So just to learn Rashi again, the third line, let's read the Rashi inside. Okay, going into the fourth line of Rashi, says Rashi, if he's leading up to rendering her into a halachic saitam, a woman who's going to be under legal suspicion of committing adultery, he's going to have to bring to witnesses to prove that he told her in front of them, do not be secluded with that specific individual. Adds Rashi, continues Rashi, and if he did not forewarn her, be in front of these two witnesses, she will not become forbidden, even if she secluded, she had a seclusion with that man, and therefore she will never drink the waters. So many of the Achreinim, they infer from Rashi's repetition, Rashi's mamash saying seemingly the same thing twice, Right, you have to have two witnesses, and then he goes, and if there was no two witnesses, it would not work. That Rashi means to say that the witnesses that are needed by the Saita is similar to the witnesses that are needed by marriage and divorce. Meaning, normally witnesses are called the Eidei Birur. Normally witnesses are only here to clarify that a certain event happened. For example, if you lend me money, I owe you the money, whether people saw or not. 
Elama, if, God forbid, I will later attempt to deny that you lent me money, it's beneficial for you to prove that I owe you the money by having witnesses. But the fact that I took the money from you, that in itself brings upon me an obligation to repay it if the money was given as a loan. Those are called clarifying witnesses. However, when it comes to marriage, for example, when a man gives the ring to a woman and he makes the declaration of Harayat Nekodeshesli, etc., if he makes that declaration not in front of two kosher witnesses, it's not that only if either of them deny that the Kedushan happened, they'll get away with it. It's more than that. Even if they both admit that this act happened, she is not a halachic engaged woman. Because part of what's needed to affect the Kedushan the first stage of marriage is for him to give her a ring in front of two witnesses. Those witnesses are called edekiyum. In other words, they are the ones that substantiate. They are part of the legal process. They're not only here to prove that it happened. So people are medayik in Rashi's double expression that Rashi is underlying that the witnesses of a saita are not only edebirur. So Rashi begins that if he doesn't have witnesses, he cannot clarify it later. But then he says more than that, that it's not that he cannot clarify later. He cannot prove that he warned her. It's not considered a warning. And it makes a lot of sense because there are many times that in a marriage, couples have a disagreement. They have a discussion. They have a fight. And many times a man or a woman can say words coming from anger, but they don't take the level of seriousness as to when a man will tell his wife something in front of two witnesses. It makes her understand that this is of a much more serious nature the very fact that he did it in front of two witnesses. And only then, if she does not listen to that warning and she has a seclusion with that man, and it's proven, only then will she have the halachic status of a site. So back in the Mishnah. So the, the Mishnah quotes Rabbi Eliezer that says that the first step of her becoming a saita, the step of warning, the step of kinui, needs to be done in front of two witnesses. But But when it comes to the second step, which is her actually having the seclusion known as her doing stira, there we don't need to have edim. Not only do you not have to have witnesses for it to happen, the seclusion causes her to become a saita. More than that, you don't even need to have two witnesses to testify that she had a seclusion. Even one witness is enough. And one witness means even someone who's normally not a kosher witness, which would mean even her, he is also considered one witness. It's when you have to have two witnesses, then all of the dinam of Edim apply to both of the witnesses. A witness can only be a woman, based on a Pasuk. And then it, it cannot be relatives. And they have to be qualified as observant Jews, etc. None of those qualifications are needed, according to Rabbi Yezid of our Mishnah, by the Eide Stira. That means if he later says, I saw you secluded with that man, I don't know what happened, but you were secluded. If there was prior to the seclusion a kinui in front of two witnesses, she now becomes a saita. And again, if she doesn't want to undergo the procedure, at any point, if he doesn't want to force the procedure on her, then she doesn't undergo the procedure. But he's not allowed to be intimate with her. According to the Ramam, he's going to have to divorce her. According to everyone, she will not be allowed to eat truma. And, and uh, if the husband is the one that doesn't want her to undergo the procedure, she'll get a get and she'll get her ksuba. If she's the one that doesn't want to undergo the procedure, she'll get a get and she'll forfeit her ksuba. Back in the Mishnah. Comes along Rabbi Yeshua, and that's the halach is like Rabbi Yeshua, and he says that al umashkal You need to have two edim for the kinui, and you likewise have to have two witnesses when it comes to the seclusion. Now clarifies the Mishnah How does the warning happen? So here there's an interesting change of the Bach. The Bach changes the next word from Oimer to the word Omar. Oimer is an expression of someone doing something from the outset. Omar means if he said, and as we'll see in the Gemara, that there are those opinions that hold that a man warning his wife is something not, um, not commended. It's something that we frown upon. And therefore the wording of the Mishnah, when it speaks about these dinim, is always in the bidiyevet sense. If he did it, then this will be the din. 
the other text, our text, Oimer, will go according to those opinions that understand that there is a mitzvah for a man who, if he feels that there is some misbehavior going on in his family, for him to warn his wife. And if that's the case, then the word is Oimer. So whether it's Oimer or Amar, says the Mishnah that he tells her, We'll clarify this when we get into the Gemara. In other words, that there's different ways of a person encouraging us, how one spouse encouraged their other spouse in upgrading their behavior. It could be done in a kind way. And, and, and to a kinoi. A kind way would mean means he's not going to warn her in front of two witnesses. That, that's going to that's gonna escalate an issue. It can be done with kind words and without going in this direction altogether. And that's really the question that we're going to have throughout this, uh, in the beginning of the, of the Masechta, how, how should a couple be with each other? You know, it's how, how do people successfully encourage their spouse to behave better? Is it done through acts of kindness, or is it done through acts of gevurah? Let's go right here. So, Amar if he tells her in front of two people, I don't want you to speak to a certain individual, this is not the warning that we're talking about. Because if he only warned her about talking to someone, even if even if she spoke to him and there's witnesses, two witnesses, nothing. She's allowed to be intimate with him. And, or if she married a client, she's still permitted to eat truma. In other words, she's not a soita. However, and here you have to add the words, but if he warned her not regarding speaking, but if he warned her regarding secluding, don't be alone with that individual. And then, then, according to Rabbi Yezer, even if he says so, according to Rabbi Yeshua, two witnesses say that she secluded herself with that specific individual. And for how long were they together? They were together enough time for there to be the possibility of them being intimate as we'll see in Dav Dalid, exactly how long that time is. So this is the din of the Saita. It is from now on that she becomes Asura Lebesa. She's not allowed to be intimate with her husband. And if she married a client from that point on, she's not allowed to eat Ruma until either she undergoes the procedure of the drinking of the bitter waters or she gets divorced. And by the way, if she gets divorced, she will never be allowed to marry a client because since there is a legal when I say legal, I mean a halachic legal suspicion that she had an affair with another man. That will render her prohibited to ever marry a client again, meaning even if her husband died, for example, before she drank the waters. See, a woman who gets divorced anyways cannot marry a client. But if her husband were to die, she's only a widow. A widow can marry a client. But if she died in the state of being a saita, then she can no longer marry a client. If he died. If he died when she was in the state of a saita, so she's only a widow. That's right. Or prior for her drinking the waters. A saita, you know, once, once there's a legal suspicion, if she did have an affair, if she had an act of intimacy with another man, then she's never allowed to marry a kind. As we learned a lot in Masech Yivams. Now, the inmates, if the husband died prior to her drinking the waters, and they were a couple married without children, and the din normally is that if a man is married and has no children, and dies his paternal brother as a mitzvah to consummate the yibum marriage, says the Mishnah that in this scenario, yibum will not be permitted. On the other hand, she's not free to marry anyone else. So says the Mishnah, she needs to undergo the chalitza procedure, which is what happens in the case that we just mentioned, where the brother does not want to marry her, does not want to do yibum with her, then there is a love for her to marry what's called to be muteres l'shuk. She cannot marry another Jew who she chooses. She has to undergo the removal of shoe procedure, but and we'll see in the Gemara exactly why is yibum not an option. And on the other hand, if yibum is ruled out, normally the system is, wherever there's no yibum, there's no need for chalitza. So we'll see why here chalitza is indeed needed. Says the Gemara. The Gemara speaks out what we normally speak out orally, which is, why did we go from Nazir to Saita? Asks the Gemara, Michti, behold. Tana mi Nazir salik. 
the Tana departed. We just finished learning Mesechtas Nazir. Is my Tana the Katana Saita? What did he see? Why did he put the tractate of Saita after Nazir? Answers the Gemara Kedarebi. That the order of the Mishnah is as Rebbe explained himself, the author of the Mishnah, the compiler of the Mishnah. Now, where did Rebbe say this? In Abraisa, the Tanya, there's a Abraisa that records that Rebbe Oimer, Lama Nismacha Parshas Nazir Parsha Saita, that in the Torah, in Parshas Nasi, so we were learning in the home previous Mesechta, right, by Midbar, Pedic, Vav, the sixth chapter in the portion of Nasi. Pedic, hey, one chapter before. Right before the Torah speaks about the laws of Nazar, the Torah speaks about the laws of a site. And Rebbe asked, why does the Torah juxtapose Nazar to Saita? Allah to tell you, that whoever sees a Saita in her disgrace, and as we mentioned briefly, that when she starts actually undergoing the procedure, she's literally disgraced in the Holy Temple. And by the way, that was done to discourage her from drinking the waters because we didn't want her to die. So if a person sees that, he should make a vow not to drink wine. And this Rebbe is mamish, the shita of the holy Balshantiv, the idea of divine providence, the idea that everything that a person sees is a message directly from Hashem to the person who saw it. In other words, the fact that a person became a saita, that was because of their choices. Nevertheless, that has to do with them. But why did I witness a woman becoming a Saita? Hashem wanted me to see it because Hashem is talking to me. And ultimately, one of the root causes for infidelity, for misbehavior, is, as we'll see later, the word Saita itself comes from the word Shaita. Foolishness enters a person. When a person indulges in drinking, they become foolish. It leads to foolishness. Right? That one of the uh, abilities that people have to keep in the straight and the narrow is using their power of Gavura or using the power of Bina, which Gavura comes from Bina. Mashka, wine, it, what it does is it weakens the power of Bina, which is why people, you know, their Chachma, they, they, their imagination goes up, but there's no Bina, there's no Gavura, and it could lead to misbehavior. So if we witness someone else being accused of committing adultery, that means that we have that potential in us. And what we need to do is we have to abstain from drinking wine. There's actually a debate whether Rebbe meant to become a Nazar. Because we learned in Nazar, the Tana Rabbalazar HaKapar, who says that it's sinful to become a Nazar. Maybe he only meant to abstain from wine. Don't drink wine. But be that as it may, that there is a connection between not drinking wine and witnessing behavior that could result from excessive drinking. So there's a juxtaposition in the Torah. So Rebbe and the Mishnayis also connected, wrote together, Nazir and Saita. So asks the Gemara, one second. If you are explaining the reason why Saita comes here is because Rebbe did what Hashem did in the Torah. In the Torah, what did Hashem write first? Like we just mentioned. First there is a Saita. Then there is the divine providence that I saw the Saita. And I have to learn from that. I have to be careful. That isn't me. The world is a mirror. So for me to be careful not to misbehave, a, a smart, a wise step for me to take will be abstain, or at least moderate, or abstain from drinking wine. So, let Rebbe first write Saita and then learn Mesechtas Nazir. So the Gemara says that wouldn't work. Because let's go back. We started Seder Moyet. And we began with, we didn't begin with, but first we learned Mesechtas Ksubas. And in Mesechtas Ksubas, Right? We began with Yuvamus, we explained it then, Ayin Shom. But once we got into Ksubis, Vitana Hamadir, the seventh chapter in Ksubis is a Pedic dealing with a wife making vows. So since we needed, we learned about a woman who vows, so subsequent to Ksubis came the Dadim. So we learned Bechlal about making vows. And the did the Tana Nadarim, once we learned Nadarim, then what comes after Nadarim comes Nazir. Why is that? Because Nazir is a specific form of a vow. It's a vow. So over the Dami Linadarim. And once we learn Nadarim, I'm so once we learn Nazir to juxtapose it with Saita, Uktani Saita Kidarebi. I think they got a Rebbe said a good word over here. And there are very Khsidashavart that in the Torah it says Surmirava Saitaif. And obviously we need both. We have to go away from bad and we have to do good. The question is which one comes first, comes before the other. 
And Kiyadua, that by Hasidim, we emphasize Asetoif, that be involved in doing good to the point that you won't have time to do bad. And really, that's the difference between the Torah Seder and the Seder of, of Torah Shabalpeh. That in the Torah, maybe for Tzadikim, you can tell them, don't do bad. Don't do bad, which is Seder. First comes Seder. And then comes Nazar. Nazar, as we explained, that the Baharit says that Nazar isn't just a vow. It's a person undertaking upon themselves to upgrade their level of holiness. It's viewed as becoming holier, doing something good. Even though the legal expression of a Nazar is not to do, not to do, not to do, but it's about being a Nazar. However, practically, we human beings, Neshama Beguf, for us to be certain that we won't become a Saita, the smarter way is from the outset, do good. First, learn about Asetoiv Nazir, and that will avoid, to begin with, the Surmeira, it will avoid a person from becoming a site. Okay. Emphasizes the Gemara, begins the Gemara, that the Lashen HaMishnah is HaMekanei. HaMekanei means one who has warned. Again, it's a Lashen of Bidiyevet. If one has done it, and Kinoi happened halachically, and Stira happened halachically, then she becomes a site. But one who has warned implies, don't warn. If it happened, then you're a site. Hamakana means the Evid. You know, it's Bidi Evid, becoming a site, the procedure of becoming a site is something that is after the fact. If it happened, it happened. But so says the Gemara Kusavar Tana Didan, our Tana holds that that a man should not warn his wife. Obviously, like you asked, it's not that he should do nothing, that's foolish. He should approach it in a kinder way, in a gentler way. Imagine, in the, in, in the majority of the scenarios where the woman is taken innocent. So what does that do? It, it makes the conflict worse. It doesn't make the conflict better. You're not, you're not, you're not helping, you're hurting. Interesting. It says the Gemara like this. Whenever Rishlakish began learning Masech to Saita, he said the following. That ain mizavgin leila adam isha, that Hashem will never pair a man with a woman elolafimaisev only according to his and to her behavior. In other words, when a person is faced with a scenario that one spouse might be committing adultery, like we just said from the Balshemtiv, he's not innocent. It's not on her. It's on both of them. Hashem would never put together. A sinful woman with a righteous man. So if he thinks that there's sinfulness in a spouse, it must mean that there's sinfulness in him. As we learn, that you only make a zivuk, that Hashem allows shidducham to happen, only according to their deeds. In other words, Shalem as it says, quoting a Pasuk and Tehillim, that Hashem will not allow for a shevet. Shevet means a rod. Shevet in this context means a wife. A wife is called the Shevet because Shevet is an abbreviation for Shalom, Bracha, and Teva. A rod also means, being that the wife is the Akedah Sabayis, she's the one that's basically, she's the foundation of the home. So she's the rod in the home. She's the backbone of the home. That Hashem is not going to put a Shevet of a Rasha together with the latter, with the lot of a Tzaddik. And this is a very important introduction. And this actually explains why, why this Reish Lakish was brought after the Gemara brought the opinion that Bidiyevet, not Lachatchila. In other words, when a person sees some misbehavior in one's spouse, the first thing one should do is look within oneself, find that same fault within him, and work on himself, and take some responsibility. And in most cases, this will resolve it. Instead of right away pointing the finger, you're misbehaving. If you're misbehaving, that means I'm misbehaving. Because why would we be married if I'm the tzaddik and you're not? Says the Gemara, based on a shlakish, based on the statement, based on Rabbi Shmuel Barabi Yitzchak, that Ein Mizavgan Adam Myself. If that's the case, this explains why we say that Vikashin Lizavgan Kikriyas Yamsuf, that making Shaduchim, pairing people together, is so to say difficult for Hashem as it was splitting of the sea. Now, really, for Hashem, splitting of the sea was not difficult, neither is making a Zivuk. But from our perspective, at least beginning simply that Dibra Torah, Colossian Bnei Adam, for us, wow, the splitting of the sea is like the most amazing miracle. Putting two people together is the most amazing thing. Why? 
Why is it so amazing? Because Hashem only puts people together if they are on the same spiritual level, because it has to be Lufi Maisov, that makes things very complicated. You know, if marriage would have been what we call Bashert, then it's simple. A is Bashert to B. That's it. It's predestined. But the moment it's Lufi Maisov, can you imagine how things get complicated? In other words, someone was, was destined to me. And then the person misbehaves, so they get on a lower level. So now they're no longer going to marry that one because it's no longer Lefim Isaf. So now they have to find someone else, but that someone else was going to marry a third party. So when you move around Shaduchim, it's like a puzzle. Everything gets fadreit, everything gets complicated. So that's, compli- that's difficult, like Riyas Yamsov. Shadamarazit says that Elohim, Moishiv Yechidim, that Hashem gathers, Yechidim means individuals, he's speaking about men and women, a man and a woman, and he gathers them, Baisa, he gathers them together to form a home. And you should know that that is kaviyachal, so to speak, as difficult as moitzi asidim, as releasing a prisoner in a kosher time. Just like if someone is incarcerated, having them released is not so simple. You have to get the exact timing. You have to get all the, all the circumstances have to be brought together for that person to be released. So likewise, when it comes to the, the, the gathering people together, there is the timing for it. They have to be at the same level at that time. And that's Kashik Akriyas Yamsuf. Says the Gemara, it's not true. Any. That it's not Lefi Maisov. It should not be so difficult. We, we say, Rav said, that 40 days before a child is formed. And we just learned this a lot. That when is a child formed? 40 days after conception. And it is only from that point onwards that if a woman, God forbid, for example, has a miscarriage, does she, have, does she, does she become Tomei with all of the biblical dinim of, you know, if it's a boy, 7 days and 33 days. If it was a girl, 14 days and 66 days. These dinim are not practiced today because we don't have a Beis Amigdash with the Karbanis. But the, the dinim of Karbanis that a woman has to bring after 40 or after 80 days is only when the child is formed. And that happens after 40 days. So 40 days before the child is formed, really means from the moment of conception. That from that moment, there's a heavenly voice that announces that the daughter of so-and-so will marry so-and-so. And likewise, you know, the concept of that it was destined to be. Who was going to marry who? Which home will you live in? What livelihood will you have? Right? All of the things that we learn in the beginning of Tanya, the only thing that is, that is not predestined is tzaddik v'rasha le'ka'amar. But everything else is predestined. So how do you reconcile that? If it's lefi ma'isov, if it's according to your actions, then it cannot be predestined. That's the Gemara's question. On which Rashi asks, what's the contradiction? Asks Rashi, look in the third line of the wide lines, mamash middle of the line, what's bothering the Gemara? The imtaymer ha'kul galu of Hashem knows the future. It's not a contradiction. Yeah, from the moment a person is conceived, being that Hashem knows the future, and He knows that when they're going to be whatever the age of a good yeshiva boy of getting engaged, at that age, he's going to be at a certain spiritual level, and based on that future knowledge, God announces who that person is going to get engaged and married to. So Rashi answers, let's just word out the Rashi, that in order for Hashem's prior knowledge, for that not to affect our freedom of choice, that knowledge needs to be hidden. We don't know what God knows. We don't know the future. If we were to know our future, then we would be bound by it. And in order for it to remain hidden, then it cannot be, so to say, spoken out by Hashem. And if there would have been a baskoil speaking out something that's based on my future moral choices, then my future moral choices are no longer hidden. They are revealed. And then it would affect my freedom of choice. So it can be that God's proclamations, the baskoil that is going out and saying, you can't say the future. Hashem never speaks out the future before it happened. So therefore, it must be not connected to my actions. Answers the Gemara, like Hashem, famous Gemara, that that when do we say that the marriage is predetermined? That's in the first marriage. We'll see soon what that means. But in the second marriage, there it does go according to one's actions. So the statement, the Pasik, goes on the Zivuk Sheni. 
The Kasha, Kikriyas Yamsuv, goes on the Zivuk Sheni. However, the predetermined who you will marry goes on the Zivuk Rishon. Now, there are so many interpretations of what's the first marriage, what's the second marriage. Let's just go from the two extremes. One extreme learns literally that the second marriage must mean the second for both of them. Not for one of them, for both of them. If it is the first time for either one of the couples, then that's called the Zivig Rishon. But really, most of the, 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 the Rishonim and for sure the Achreinim speak out that a person can have their Zivig Sheni before their Zivig Rishon. And that explains why, for example, there's a din that a person can get engaged on Cholomayit. I ain't ma'arven simcha basimcha. So we learn in the Mishnah, we learn this together, that Shema Yekadmeno Acher. That a person cannot get married on Cholomayit, but they can get halachically engaged on Cholomayit, because if I will not affect the engagement now, maybe someone else will get her. And the question is, why will anyone else get her if it's predetermined? And the answer must be, because by Zivuk Sheni, it's not predetermined. But, but the halacha that I can get engaged on Cholomayit is even the first time. Which proves that even the first time a person can circumvent, can upgrade, so to say. If a person, let's speak on the positive, if a person behaves better, then, they, then, then they're given, a, so to say, a better zivuk. A wife who is on their level. Let's go right. So in our Mishnah, we had a machlekes Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua as to how does kinui and stira need to happen. And Rabbi Eliezer was of, let's call this the lenient opinion, that you have to have kinui taka through two witnesses, as we spoke out, nach but uh, stira can happen even with one witness. Rabbi Eliezer, I mean, says the Gemara, at pligi, that in our Mishnah, Machlekes Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua is only regarding kinui and stira, two or one. Aval betuma, but if a woman already became a saitan, in other words, there was kinoi, however that's needed, and there was stira, however that's needed, if afterwards there was one witness that said that not only were they secluded, but I saw that they actually had an act of intimacy together. Now, make something very clear. We spoke this out in the introduction. If there are two witnesses that a married woman had an act of intimacy with another man, and she was prior to that act forewarned, it's a capital sin. She might get killed. There is no question that one witness can never bring her to the death penalty. However, when it comes to the dinam of Asaita, if there's only one witness that said that they were intimate together, so then she's believed. Meaning, he's believed that there is no point of her undergoing the procedure of drinking the waters. She will not drink the waters. There's nothing to prove here. We know halachically that she committed adultery. And if that's the case, the husband will divorce her. He will not give her the ksuba. And from that moment and on, if she married a kain, she cannot eat truma. He's going to be believed. And now says the Gemara, how many people? Only one witness. She's considered an adulteress. And she might even be called a saita because sometimes we use the word saita for a saita vadai. Unlike Saita Suffolk, which is what we're learning about, but she will not be allowed to drink the waters. The drinking of the waters is only when there's a doubt. There is a legal doubt, but there's a doubt. Here, halachically, there's no doubt. That she, that, she had an, that she committed adultery. And the consequences, well, I just want to word it correctly. There's a machlekes between Rashi and Rambam. Whether he has to do it. He cannot be intimate with her. So if he can't be intimate with her, the question is, does he have to divorce her? Let's use the Rambam. We're gonna, the Rambam says when a, when a man cannot be intimate with his wife, he has to divorce. Unlike Shittas Rashi, who, that, that he can't be intimate with her, but he doesn't have to divorce. It's not mechoyiv to divorce. If there's no witnesses with a forewarning, then she won't be killed. Okay, right. That's only source. So, if she was prior to that seclusion, if she was forewarned in front of two witnesses, then she was secluded. So then she becomes a site. That's the whole point. There was no actually. If the two witnesses would see her being intimate, she would not be a site. She would be a woman that committed adultery. And then again, and then even if she would not be killed for it but she would not undergo the procedure of the site. It's only when the witnesses just saw her secluded. 
No one else was there. They need to know that. But they have no idea what happened. But they were secluded enough time for them to have been able to be intimate. Now, the Tananami, we also learned the same thing in the Mishnah later on the Aflamad Aleph, that if only one witness after the Kinui and after the Stira says, Anira Isi Shenetmeis, I saw her being intimate, so then, Loi Hoysa Shaisem. She will not drink the waters of the Madim, the bitter waters, because we know that she committed adultery. Asks the Gemara, Mido Eiraisa, Minolan, the Mehemen Eirachad. How do you know that here, even one witness on the on Mido Eiraisa will already be accepted? Now we know she committed adultery, so there's no point in drinking the waters. And now we're quoting a Pasik. It, we're learning Pedic Hay, right, in Bamidbar, in Parshas Nasi. We're quoting Pasik Yud Gimel. This is going to be a very important Pasik. The Pasik says that the Shachav Ish Oisam, Sheikh Vazera, that if a man slept with her, Vinella me'ene ishan, the husband doesn't know. Then it says, Vinistara, that she was secluded. And the first, and she became defiled, which means she there was an act of intimacy. but there's no witness to it. And the Torah adds, she was not forced. Because the Pasik in the Saita begins that if she was secluded and she was intimate, then she's not a Saita. In other words, she doesn't undergo the procedure of drinking the water. But in Pasik Yudalit continues, but if she was secluded, but we don't know whether she's intimate or not, so then we undergo this whole procedure of drinking the waters. So Pasik Yud Gimel is speaking about the case where she does not drink the waters, because the Shachav Ishaisa, the Nitma, but it says the Eid Ein Ba. Now one second, if the Eid Ein Ba, if you were to translate it literally, what is the Pasik saying? There was no, if there was no witness, how do you know she became defiled? So it must be that the aid ain't ba means the word aid doesn't mean one. Sometimes the Torah says aid, which is technically witness in the singular, but the Torah means two witnesses. The aid ain't ba, meaning there aren't two witnesses, but there's one witness. And that one witness, since if he says that she was not forced, she becomes the Saita that has to get divorced. Just to clarify that, if a woman, God forbid, was forced, if she's not married to a claim, then she does not get divorced. Then she's Mutadis Labaila. So that's what the Torah adds, that there, was one, there was no two witnesses, but there's one witness that they were intimate and it was willingly. So there, right away, she becomes a known adulteress and there's no din of the drinking of the waters. The Eidein Ba says, the Braisa, Bishnayim Akasav Medaber. It must be, it must be that it's two. There weren't two witnesses, but there was one. Asks the Braisa, the way the Braisa goes back and forth, maybe the Torah means that there wasn't a witness. Now the Gemara is going to ask on that Beis Amad Beis, how can you say that? If there wasn't a witness, then how do you know that, that, she, that, she, that she committed adultery? We'll get to that in a moment. So it answers the Braisa, since it says in Parsha Shoftim, it says, that one witness should never be accepted. Right? And the Pasik in Shoftim continues, That's the source that we need to have two, minimum two people to be witnesses accepted and abased in. So says the Gemara, says the Braisa, that Beisamid Beis, the Torah says, Why? The Pasik could have said, If aid means one, then the Torah could have says one witness should never be accepted. Is any So that's a proof. From here we, we build to the rest of the Torah that call Mokim aid. When the Torah says aid, aid doesn't mean one. You know what one means? Aid echad means one. Aid means two. Aid means two. So because of the Pasik and Shaiftim, we know that aid means two. So the aid ain ba means there weren't two, but there was one. So here you see that one person is believed that the hinitma and loinus pasa. Very good. Testimony means two. That's exactly what it means. And on this Amanachmana, by the Saita, that Treleisba, Elochad. And since since this one witness is not only saying that they were intimate, but it was willingly, that's why Asura, end of Braisa, asks the Gemara, why did we need Shaiftim? 
How can we learn the Pasuk otherwise? But if not for the Pasuk and Pasha Shreftim, I would have thought that aid by Saita means one. It can be because if the Pasuk means, as it's literally translated, that there isn't even one witness, Pasuk Yud Gimel seems to be saying that she is Tomei. Is Elabamai Mitasra, how did she become prohibited to her husband? Answers the Gemara, it's the, we need to bring the Pasik and Shaiftim, because if not for that Pasik, Salkadaita Hamina, I would have translated the whole Pasik Gimel different. The Pasik is saying Aid Ainba, meaning Ainamanba, Fakert. Maybe Pasikud Gimel and Pasikud Dalit is all speaking about the woman who we don't know whether she committed adultery. The Torah is saying that if she had a relation, how do you know? Because one witness, there was an aide, there was one witness, and on this the Torah says, Einba, that we don't count that one witness. So we talk and don't know. Maybe that's the meaning of the Pasik. Einemonba, he's not believed. So the Gemara says, what? The Elamai boy. So what would we need? What we would need two witnesses? The Torah should not have written the whole Pasik Yud Gimel. That if two witnesses testify that a woman committed adultery that we believe too, that we know in the whole Torah two witnesses are believed. So why did the Torah have to speak about a case where you didn't have witnesses so we don't know? Pshita. Of course, if there's no witnesses, you don't know. The Torah shouldn't have said the whole Pasik Yud Gimel. Because since the Asya Dover Dover Mimamain, there's a Pasik in Pashas Kiseitze that's speaking about marriage and it says Kimotzah Ba. Ervas Dabar, that's the passage that speaks about divorce. That if a man is married and he finds in her an act of unfaithfulness, and we have in the passage, that's the Dabar Dabar, that just like by monetary laws, the trader says in Shaiftim, you have to have two witnesses, even by marriage laws, you have to have two witnesses. We learned David of Mimamain, Vaano Yodana, Mid the Hava call Edishabatra, question mark, answers Digamara. No, still. The Braisa needed the Pasik in Shaiftim, because if not in the Pasik of Shaiftim, Slakadaita Hamina, I would have thought that maybe by a Saita, if she was forewarned and she still had a seclusion, maybe one witness will be believed. One witness. Why is that? So now Digamara is using the words that we had at the end of Masechta's Nazir continuously in all of the last Mishnayas of Raglayim Ladavar. You can say circumstantial evidence, something that makes sense. Literally, it means there are legs for it to stand on. Since Raglayim Ladavar, it makes sense that, she missed, that something wrong happened. Why? Because if a man forewarned his wife, and nevertheless Venistara, so you might think that in such a case, one witness should be believed, which is really the Emes. So if not for the Pasuk and Shaiftim, I still would have said that the Torah has to write in Pasuk Yud Gimel clearly that Ve'eid, that if there's only one witness, don't believe him. I, we never believe one witness. You might have thought that here we will believe one witness. Because of circumstantial evidence, because there was Kino and Stiroi. So now that we know from Shaiftim that aid means two witnesses, so now we know that Pakert, the Pasuk is telling you that one witness is Taka believed because of Aglaim Lodover. Still the Gemara is not happy. How can you say that this Pasuk Yud Gimel is telling you the aid, since there's one aid, there's nothing here. When the Torah, that Pasuk concludes with the words, that she was not forced. How do you know she was not forced? How do you know anything? If the Pasuk is coming to tell you that if there's only one witness, we don't believe the witness, why would the Torah add the word she was not forced? And if she was forced, or if she was not forced, there's only one witness. You see from the context of the Pasuk that the Pasuk is implying that she's guilty. The implication of the Pasik is that she committed something wrong, she's prohibited. Again, answers the Gemara Itzlech. I might have thought, that Pasik Gimel is coming to teach you that you need to have two witnesses, even when she's already a Saita, you have to have two witnesses that she had an act of intimacy. And even when there are two witnesses, Nami, when will she be actually considered a woman an adulteress only if the two witnesses say that she was not forced? So again, Kamash Malan, now that we have the Pasuk and Shaiftim, from there we see that aid means two witnesses. So now we actually translate the Pasuk the way the Braisa says. That there aren't two witnesses, but there's only one witness. One witness is believed to make her Tamei. 
Again, she will not be put to death because there's only one witness, but she's believed, the one witness is believed, and therefore she will not be allowed to drink the waters. There's no point of her drinking the waters. We know that she's guilty. And therefore, again, the husband cannot be with her. The husband has to divorce her. Another halacha that we didn't speak out yet, we learned this in Yavamis, that once a woman committed adultery, not only is she never allowed to be intimate with her husband, she's never allowed to be intimate with that man, with the adulterer. It's called asalabal v'asalaboy. And let's move on. Says the Gemara... The Pasuk Yud Gimel is telling you that if there's only one witness, as long as he testifies that she was not forced, she's guilty. And then Pasuk Yud Dalad goes on to say, but if you don't have one witness that she had an act of intimacy, there's only the witnesses of the warning and the witnesses of the seclusion, and he doesn't know whether yes or whether or not, whether they were intimate or not, that's when the Pasuk continues, the Pasha continues with the laws of a site. Says Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua says, So my Tamad Rabbi Yeshua asks the Gemara, why would he say that you have to have two witnesses for Stira? Amar Kra, it says, and again we're quoting the Pasuk that we just mentioned in Pasha's Kiseitse, right? Ba, Ba comes to teach you, Ba, I'm sorry, the Eid ain't Ba. This is the Pasuk in Parsha's Nasa, in the Parsha of Asaita. In Pasuk Yud Gimel, we're speaking about that one witness is enough to say that she became Tameh. Only for Tuma is one witness enough. But it's coming to exclude that when it comes to the forewarning, one witness is not enough. And likewise, Ba tells you that only in Pasuk Yud Gimel is one witness enough. Only for Tuma, but for Kinoi and for Stira, you need to have two or more. Rabbi Yezer Aymer, Ba only comes to exclude Kinoi. As Rabbi Yezer holds that for Kinoi, you have to have two witnesses. But for Stira, one is enough, and he can be also believed. Asks the Gemara, why don't we say, according to Rabbi Eliezer, that Ba also means Velay Bestira? Answers the Gemara, nah. Stira is Kash That the seclusion should run parallel to the rules of her actually becoming defiled because it says, Venistera Vihinitma. The Torah puts them together. Asks the Gemara, well, Kinoinami is Kash the Torah also puts together the forewarning and her becoming Tommy, like it says, Answers the Gemara, one second. But you have the exclusion from the word Ba. Ba means that only for Tuma is one witness enough. So if it asks the Gemara, if you have a comparison and you have an exclusion and you have to pick and choose so that the, you know, the Lashon HaGemara, Umara Isa. Why are you excluding Stira? Why are you not excluding Kinoi? Answers the Gemara, Mestabra, according to Rabbi Yezid, that's Stira Adifa, to exclude, we are excluding only the forewarning. We don't exclude how many witnesses are needed for the seclusion. Why? Because the seclusion is very similar to the act of intimacy. Because the seclusion is what makes her into a Saita. Shekeno Isarta Ketuma, says the Gemara, one second. The Stira doesn't make her prohibited to be with her husband. What began all of it? The warning. Say that the warning is the foundation. It's the root cause. Answers the Gemara, he loves Tira. A root cause, a head, root cause, a hin. You can have all the four warnings. If she would not have been secluded after the four warning, then Kinoi mi ika, the warning doesn't do anything. But the Gemara asks the opposite. Well, Elaf Kinoi, if there wasn't a forewarning, Stira Mayahani, then even if she would have been secluded, nothing would have happened legally. Still, says the Gemara, Stira Adifa, the Aschalta de Tumihi. Still, it makes sense, according to Rabbi Yezer, this seclusion is the beginning of them sinning because they sinned in seclusion. So, therefore, we compare the seclusion to the Tuma with Rabbi Yezer, and only one aid is enough to testify that she was secluded. Now the Gemara makes the following observation. In our Mishnah, Machlekes Rabbi Yezer and Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Yezer says, for Kino you need to have two, for Stira you only need to have one witness. There is another version of what Rabbi Eliezer said. There is a Tana Rabbi Yosi and Rabbi Yehuda that said in the name of Rabbi Eliezer the opposite, which is that Rabbi Eliezer holds that for Kino you only have to have one witness. It is for Stira that you have to have two witnesses. Let's read it inside. It says the Gemara that our Mishnah, the version of our Mishnah, 
as to what does Rabbi Eliezer hold is the loike haitana. It's not like the Tana the Tanya Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Rabbi Eliezer the opposite. Hamakana l'ishtoi that when a person warns his wife, the warning is enough to happen al piyedachod, and one witness as we spoke out in the Mishnah can even mean al piyatzmi. However, mashkalal pishnayim, but for stira to be effective for that. For the seclusion, you have to have two witnesses. And to which, the Chachamim tells Rabbi meaning that if your opinion is correct, then everyone, every woman would become a Saita. Or it's very easy to abuse the dinam of Saita. And we don't want this halacha to be abused, as the Gemara will explain in a moment. So it says the Gemara, my time let's go. What will be the understanding now? Of Rabbi Eliezer, according to the Braisa, according to Rabbi Yisib Rabbi Yehuda. Again, the trader says, but one witness is believed that there was Tuma to teach you that for Stida you have to have two witnesses. Now we're doing the opposite. The aim of let's say the opposite. And for Kinoi, you need to have two witnesses. And according to this version, Rabbi Eliezer holds that for Kinoi, one witness is enough. So the Gemara says, no, Kinoi is Kashla Tuma. Since it says, Vikinoi is Ishta Asks the Gemara, Stira Nami is Kashlatuma? As it says, we just learned this Venistra Vihinitma. To which the Gemara answers, Ah, that Venistra Vihinitma is to tell you how long is a seclusion considered a halachic seclusion. So that's to teach you how Hulakama Shir Stira Kidei Tuma So now we understand, it's easier to understand the sheet of Rabbi Yezer according to the Brice. Continues the Gemara, He Shiva Hamal Debi Rabbi Yehuda. The sages tell, tell Rabbi, Yus, Rabbi Yusuf and Rabbi Yehuda, What do they mean by that? No, it's according to you who say that kinoi can be done even between the husband and his wife. Let's not forget that there are moments that a spouse can be angry at their spouse. The zimnen, the loikani, v'amar kanai, when he discovers that she was secluded with a man, because there were two witnesses. At that moment, he can be angry. And if kinui does not need to happen in front of two witnesses, at that moment of anger, he can right away say, you're a saita, because I warned you, even though he never did. But he doesn't have to prove it, according to Rabbi Yisib, Rabbi Yehuda, Mishum, Rabbi Yezid, that you don't need to have two witnesses. So that's what the Chachamah meant, that it can be that the Torah taught us a din that can be easily abused. So asks the Gemara, One second. Why did they only ask this question here in the Braisa? What about, what about the version of Rabbi Yezid in our Mishnah? That for Kino you need to have two witnesses. And for Stira, you don't even, you don't, you don't even need to have witnesses. So why there also, right? He can go ahead after he warned her. He can then say, oh, I know you had Stira. Even though she never had a seclusion after he warned her. So, you're right. That the challenge that the Chachamim have with Rabbi Yezid is according to both versions. Which means, not only do they challenge Rabbi Yezid of the Mishnah, even according to the version of the Braisa, they also have a problem. How can you allow a woman to become a Saita without having two witnesses for both the Kinoi and the Stira? when a husband sometimes will abuse the dinam of Saita by being angry and by lying. So says the Gemara, that, that, that emendation has to be fixed. Because when you say, not only is there a problem in the Mishnah, but also in the Braisa, that implies that in the Mishnah the problem is graver. But it's not true. It's much worse according to the Braisa. As we mentioned, when a woman is secluded, at that moment the husband is angry. And if kinoi does not need to be done in front of two witnesses, it's more likely that a husband will lie while he's angry versus that in the case of the Mishnah. In the case of the Mishnah, when he finds out that she's with a person in a way that he's not comfortable with, so he's going to warn her. But if she never had stita with him after the warning, who says he's going to lie? So says the Gemara, after the in the Mishnah, there's less worry that he's going to lie. Because there was a forewarning. And after the forewarning, if she never had stira, who says he's going to lie? And if she did have stira, at least he warned her. But according to the Braisa, imagine a woman is secluded, 
So now he's angry. Ooh, you were with that guy? I warned you not to be with him. It's more likely. So the Gemara says that that's exactly how you have to amend the Braisa. There is a problem. And by the way, they added later, really, to a lesser degree, which is why the Chachamim accepted Rabbi Yoshua, which is the Halacha, that for a woman to become a Halachic Saita, a legally suspected woman of committing adultery, you have to have two witnesses, both for Kinoi and for Stiram. Now let's uh, another couple of lines says that that a man should not tell his wife bizman now that there's no base on Migdash. And when there's no base on Migdash, a woman cannot undergo the procedure of drinking the waters. It's connected to having a base on Migdash. A man should never tell his wife, don't seclude yourself with that man. Because maybe the halach will be like Rabbi Yesi, but Rabbi Yehuda's version in Rabbi Yezer, that holds that Kinoi is halachically effective, even al piatmai. And if he gave her a warning and later she's going to be secluded, she's going to become a full-fledged Saita. And now what's going to happen? There's nothing he can do today. She cannot undergo the procedure. He'll be obligated to divorce her. And therefore, if that indeed happened, so then she'll become prohibited to him. So therefore, even though we paskin like Rabbi Yeshua, but since we do have the opinion of a man today should never warn his wife by telling her, don't be with that man in seclusion, because if you do so, you might actually initiate the procedure, the din of a soita, and she might become a soita. Huh? No. If, if, if you would pass like Rabbi Yeshua, then if you would warn her, not in front of the witnesses, she'll never become a halachic soita. But since we do have to take into account a man should never warn his wife. We're going to go back and forth this whole idea of whether it's a good thing to warn a wife or not a good thing. It's only a bit the evidence. We'll stop over here. Mr. Shem to be continued.